Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Peter, and today we are continuing our series, In God We Trust. Wasn't that a great testimony from Charity? Well, in this series, we're talking about how we can trust God with our money and how we are to trust God with every part of our life. But I, I recognize for many of us, our money is one of the most challenging areas to trust God with. But generosity is the outflow of a healthy heart that trusts God. Now, when I was a kid, uh, my mom would take me to get my hair cut. And after the haircut was over, she would hand me a loony, and then I would walk over my little three, four-year-old self, walk over to the hairdresser, and I would give my loony as a tip to the hairdresser. And then when I... Uh, grew up and started to pay for my own haircuts, I continued that trend of generosity of adding $1 as a tip to the cost of my haircuts. Uh, but it wasn't until I had a conversation with other young adults my age and they were talking about how much they tip that I realized a lot had changed since I was three years old in 1987, giving that dollar to the hairdresser and that my tip wasn't cutting it anymore. I had to like go and make things right with my hairdresser. Well, how do you decide how much to tip? How do you decide how you make money decisions? Uh, how do you decide how much to save or how much to invest or how much to put into your RRSPs? How do you decide how much? Uh, maybe you have a plan. I mean, do you have an advisor? Uh, is it something that you decide regularly, this is my how much and I'm going to do it? Is it something where you have uh, good intentions about and maybe you don't get around to it? How do you decide how much? How did you come to these decisions? Is it something that fluctuates? Is it something that stays the same? Is it something that uh, is based on your feelings or your circumstances? Does inflation change your how much? And how did you come to the decisions that you've made? Is it something that you learned from your parents? Maybe uh, you had good role models when it came to money, or maybe you had poor role models. Maybe it was something that you were like, I got to figure out how much. So you Googled it and that's how you came to the answer. Maybe it was through a conversation with your friends. But the ultimate question that I have for us today is how do you determine how much to give? Now, uh, you may uh, be surprised to hear, but in Calgary, uh, there are some of the most generous givers in Canada. And so in 2018, uh, we have some information we can put on the screen here. 30.01% uh, of families claimed a charitable deduction on their tax return. And the average that a family that gave, the amount was uh, $2,087.93. And in the Calgary region, in that same time period, a little bit higher, 30.64% of families claimed a charitable de deduction on their tax return. And their average donation was $3,374.02, so about $1,300 more than the national average of those who gave. But across, give, across Canada, we can see that charitable giving is actually decreasing in every age group. So no matter what age group you're a part of here today, the amount that people are giving now, they're giving less than they gave previously for that same age group. Well, how do we as Christians decide how much to give? 
And before we can know how much to give, we really need to understand the relationship between us and God and our money. And there's some uh, foundational principles that we can look at from the Bible. Because as Christians, we recognize that the Bible has a lot to teach us about how we use our money. From tipping to saving or investing or giving, we want to look and learn from God's word. And we also live in community. And so we can learn from those in community with us, those who are faithful with what God has given to them, those who have a good track record, so we can learn from each other. But as we're kind of trying to answer this question of how much do I give, there's uh, these three foundational principles that I want to share with us today just to get us on the same page with what we're talking about. And so if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The first one is God owns everything. That is God's perspective is that he owns it all. And so that's why we have verses like Psalm 24, verse 1, that says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything that's in it, the world and all its people, belong to him. God owns everything. Number two, the Christian perspective is that everything we have comes from the Lord. Everything we have comes from God. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 8, where God is talking to his people, he tells us that we are not to have the attitude that says, all of this wealth I have provided for myself. It's from my strength, from my energy. That's why I have this. But instead, we are to remember that it's the Lord who gives us the ability to make money and to be successful. And so the Christian perspective is that there is no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. But that the very gifts that we have, the tools that we use, our personality, the things that help us to be successful are gifts from God who created us. So God owns everything and everything we have comes from the Lord. And then number three, we are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And we have tremendous freedom in what we do with our money, with what God has given to us. And so that's why I can look at my money and I can see the good decisions I've made with my money. And I can see the poor decisions that I've made with my money. But God entrusts it to us. And if we are stewards, if we are trustees of what God has given to us, then a good steward, a good trustee is going to consider the priorities of the owner. And so if God owns everything, and if everything I have comes from him, and if I am to be a steward of what God has given to me, then the question of how much do I give becomes a very important question. So we have, uh, if we want to be stewards trustees who give according to God's priorities and God's principles. And as we've already talked about in this series so far, we are to trust God and we're to put God first. We give God our first and our best. And Pastor Todd talked about that last Sunday. But if we're going to answer this question of how much are we to give, then I want us to, to look at the example of Abraham in the book of Genesis. And so if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to join me in Genesis chapter 14. 
Genesis is the first book of the Bible. If you have a paper Bible with you or if you have a Bible app and you can join me at Genesis chapter 14, I'm going to give you a few moments to get there. And let me tell you about the context of kind of what's happening in this chapter is that there are a bunch of kings and they have all gone to war against each other. And Abraham has a nephew, Lot, and Lot and his family, his household, all his possessions, they have been caught up in this war and they've been taken prisoner and captured. And Abraham hears about this and so he gathers 318 of the men from his household and they go to war and they fight a battle against this enemy and they drive off the enemy and they rescue Lot and his family and they rescue all of the possessions that this army had now have come to Abraham. And then as Abraham is taking all of this back towards his home, he is visited by a king who is not part of this war. Another king comes to see him, and this is where we're going to pick it up. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. And it says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God most high, brought Abram, that's Abraham, some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. And so if our question today is, how much do I give The answer that Abraham came to was that he gave a tenth of everything he got from the battle and he gave it to Melchizedek, the king priest. And I want us to take note of a few things that we read in this passage. Melchizedek came to Abraham and he brought bread and wine. We're going to come back to that. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. I want us to see that Abraham was blessed and then he gave. Abraham didn't give to get blessed. He was already blessed and then he gave. God had given him victory in battle. God had defeated his enemies. Abraham wasn't commanded to give. Abraham chose to give a tenth. And Abraham gave to Melchizedek. It was a gift to God given to God's priest. And it was an investment into Melchizedek's kingdom. Okay, now we're going to leave Genesis and we're going to go to the New Testament. We're going to go from the first book of the Bible to near the very back of the Bible And so if you have a paper Bible, you could just start at the back and rewind a little bit. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. If you're a quick turner, you could join me there. Otherwise, we also have it up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 7 gives us another perspective on this same event that we just read about. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1 says, This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem. And also a priest of God Most High. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. 
Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice. And the king, uh, king of Salem means king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the son of God. And it goes on in the rest of this chapter and in other chapters, making this connection between Melchizedek, this ancient king and priest, and Jesus it's not saying that Melchizedek is Jesus, but it's saying that Melchizedek is a picture of how 1,800 years later, there would come a greater king of justice, Jesus, our king of peace. And so it makes this connection between Abraham and Melchizedek, and I want to show us the connection between Jesus and us. And so I want us to look at a few things in these passages. Melchizedek is a king and a priest. And Jesus comes to us as the king of kings, and Hebrews calls him our eternal high priest. Melchizedek offered Abraham bread and wine. And Jesus comes to us offering his body and his blood. And so when we share in the Lord's table in communion, we eat the, the bread and we remember the broken body of Jesus. We drink the cup and we remember his blood shed for us. Melchizedek blessed Abraham and we are blessed in Christ Jesus. And because of Jesus, we are children of Abraham. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 says, And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Abraham freely gave a tenth. And as children of Abraham in Jesus, we likewise can freely give a tenth. We give to Jesus, and it's an investment into his eternal kingdom. Now, why did Abraham give? Abraham gave after God had defeated his enemies. God had brought him wealth. Melchizedek blessed him. Abraham didn't give to get blessed. He was already blessed before he gave. Why do we give? Because Jesus Christ has defeated sin and death. God provides wealth for us and the ability for us to be successful. In Christ, God has richly blessed us. And so we don't give to get blessed. We are already blessed. Before we give. Now, Abraham gave a tenth. Now, is that the same as a tithe? When we hear about a tithe, I mean, tithe means tenth. Are we as Christians commanded to tithe. 
Well, 430 years after Abraham, God made a covenant with his people. It's called the Mosaic Covenant, or we call it the Old Covenant. And as part of that covenant, the Israelites were commanded to tithe and commanded to give. And if you add up all of the tithes and the uh, offerings that they were commanded to give, it actually works out to about 20% of their income that they were commanded to give. And there's passages like Malachi chapter 3 that make it really clear that if they did not tithe, they were under a curse. And if they did tithe, then they were blessed. But as Christians, we are not under the old covenant. We have a new covenant through Jesus Christ. And so we are not under the curse of having not lived up to the law. And Paul's letter to the Galatian church really helps us to understand this. And I want to share just a few verses from it. But if this is something you have questions about, I mean, read all of Galatians, but especially Galatians chapter 3. But I just want to show us a few quick verses just to emphasize this. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. And it says, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. And then we're going to drop down to verse 13 just for the sake of time. And it says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. So that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Jesus took our curse so that we might be blessed. The Christian life is being so motivated by the love and grace of Jesus, that we freely give, not because we are commanded to give, not because someone is twisting our arm, not because someone is manipulating us. Abraham gave a tenth, and we are children of Abraham. And I want to look at another example, uh, Abraham's grandson. So it goes Abraham, and he had a son Isaac, and Isaac had a son Jacob that I want us to look at in Genesis chapter 28. And in Genesis 28, Jacob has this incredible encounter with God where uh, he goes to sleep and he has this vision where there are angels on a stairway to heaven and they're coming up and they're going down and God shows up and he makes all these huge promises to Jacob. And then this is Jacob's response in Genesis chapter 28, in verse 20. It says, Then Jacob made this vow, If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Now, when we read that, at least for me, sometimes I see, man, all the ifs in that 
vow that he's making to God. Like, well, God, if you protect me and if you provide clothes for me and if you bring me back here, then I'll do it. But when we read the the context and in the whole chapter, we see God has showed up and these are the promises that God has made to Jacob. These are the blessings that God has promised to him. And so Jacob is saying, God, if you do what you promised, if you take me on this journey, but you bring me back here, God, if you keep your word, if you do what you promised, then everything you give to me, I will give a tenth back to you. And I want us to see that God is not intimidated by Jacob's vow. God says in places like Malachi chapter three, hey, test me in this. Test me with your obedience. See if I won't do it for you. So we see Abraham gave a tenth. Jacob made a vow to God and said, God, if you do what you promised, got everything you give to me, going forward, I will give you a tenth of what you give me. So how much are we to give? Abraham and Jacob both decided how much they would give. They both chose to give a tenth. And the answer to the question for us is you must decide how much you will give. That because of Jesus Christ, because of this new covenant that we're in, we are like Abraham and Jacob. We get to determine in our hearts how much we will give. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it tells us that we're to decide in our heart how much to give. And I want to give you four things to consider as you answer this question for yourself, as you determine in your heart how much you will give. Four things to consider. Number one, you need to give. You need to give. You need to give, not because God needs your gift, but because you need to give it so that money doesn't have this hold on your heart. Because when we don't give, our hearts become stingy and become greedy. And so we need to give to show that we are not enslaved to our money. We need to give. We need to give because you can't trust God and not give. If we say that we trust God and yet we don't give, do we trust God? If we say, God, I trust you with my eternal soul and my destiny and I trust that your blood has saved me from my sins and that I'm gonna spend eternity with you. But if that doesn't also impact our pocketbook and how we use our resources, do we trust God? You can't trust God and not give. We need to give. That's number one. You need to give. Jesus says we can't serve God and be enslaved to money. The New Testament makes it clear that we are to give intentionally, joyfully, sacrificially, and from our heart. Number one, you need to give. Number two, percentile giving is modeled throughout the Bible. 430 years before the law, we see Abraham gave a tenth. Jacob, Abraham's grandson, modeled giving a tenth. And as children of Abraham, we can do the same. Percentile giving is fair. Whether we have a lot or we have a little, we can give a percentage of what we have to God. It's fair. 
Percentile giving scales. So if I gave you $20 in 1987, or I gave you $20 today, we know there's a difference in what $20 is worth between then and then. But if I gave 10% in 1987, and I gave 10% today, it's scaled. And the Bible shows us that 10% is a good place to start. That kind of is something that makes us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable when I look at giving in the New Testament. I mean, even if we go back to the law and we add up all that they were required to give, it was 20% or more. And we look at people in the New Testament who are so motivated by the love and grace of Jesus that they sell off lands and houses and they freely give, recognizing what Jesus has given to them. I know that there are a number of people in our church who give percentilely. And I have not met anyone who regrets giving a tenth or more to God. Number three, the third thing I would encourage you with as you consider in your heart what you would give is that we are under grace. You are already blessed. We don't give to get blessed. We're already blessed before we ever give. And so don't operate as though you are under a curse or that you'll be cursed. Jesus took our curse on the cross. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to understand giving is not a tax. God is not a debt collector. Will God bless our giving? Yes, God will always bless our obedience, but we're not giving to get a blessing. But of course, he's gonna bless everything we do in obedience to him, including giving. Number four, we don't give foolishly and we are not to be manipulated. You decide in your heart as Abraham decided, as Jacob decided, not because of the law, not because they were commanded to. And we don't give foolishly. We're not to be manipulated. We're to use wisdom. We can get wise counsel from other believers who are around us, those who have a good track record. So we use wisdom. So what if you are in debt? You're suffering under the weight of debt. Use wisdom. What if you don't have a job? What if you're barely getting by? Use wisdom in your giving. Determine what you will give. Let's come up with a plan, a strategy, be intentional. And when we decide, let's have it be decided. Let's give. As I've been preparing for this message and thinking about this and, and going over all these things, the thing that I keep coming back to for myself is the question of what motivates me to give? Why do I give? Do I give because I'm afraid if I don't give that I'm gonna be cursed or that God is just out to get me or he's got a big hammer and he's just waiting until I don't give and he's gonna smash me? What's my motivation for giving? No, am I just in it for the blessings or I'm afraid that if I don't give, then all those blessings that I have are gonna go away? Is it, I want the recognition of heaven. God, look at what I'm giving to you. Wow, isn't it incredible? 
Why do I give? Is my giving just a duty or an obligation, like paying my taxes where I'm not excited about it, but I just feel like, oh, I have to do this? What is my motivation for giving? The more that I've looked at it, the more that I've come to see that it's only the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that can penetrate into my stony heart and motivate me to want to give. It's only when I see Jesus like Melchizedek coming to Abraham, but Jesus coming to me with his body and his blood. When I see that I am blessed, when I see that he has defeated sin and death, he has redeemed me from the curse. When I see Jesus and all that he's done for me, that it can penetrate into my heart and from the inside out where I can be motivated to want to give, to invest into his eternal kingdom. So what's the motivation for our giving today? Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our greater high priest, that he mediates a greater covenant, that we have a greater hope, a better hope, better promises that have come to us because of Jesus Christ. And so the question for us today is how much do we trust him? And how much will we give to our King and our priest?